But I want to welcome you this morning. If it's your first time here at the Tabernacle Church, I'm Pastor Chris. I want to thank you for coming to worship with us today. I'm going to trip over this bag here. If it's your first time here, shoot that QR code with your phone. We want to give you a gift. We have a, just a cup of coffee from PJs. We want to give you a gift card. We just want to thank you for coming to hang out with us today. If it's your first time, we're glad you're here. We hope it's not your last. We'd love to see you and get connected with you, get you part of the family here. If it's your first time, don't let it be your last. We love you. Say hello to us before you leave today. Amen. Amen. As our ushers would come forward this morning, <coughs> I want to let you know that last year, um, as I've been saying, I'm going to keep saying it because God's incredible, but the giving, the faithfulness of this body was about as much of a testimony to me last year as I've ever experienced in my life. And I just want to thank you for that to let you know that you're partnering with God in doing great things around the world. It's not just here. It's not just paying so we could have church, but it's allowing us to make an impact literally across the planet. So I want to thank you for that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every gift this morning, every, every offering, every tithe. I pray that you, your word says you give seed to the sower. God, so I pray that you would multiply what's put in today 30, 60, and 100 times over. I pray, God, that you would <coughs> give increase, give favor, give promotions, give all of the above, God, to people who are believing and being faithful in their tithes and offering. We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Don't forget. I'm doing the uh, pursuit, not the pursuit, sorry, the reset prayer class on Monday nights. So tomorrow night's going to be night two. <coughs> How many of you were there last, last Monday? How many of you did what we talked about doing last Monday? Was there a difference? Amen. Metabry said the same thing. We did it with him Thursday. I'm telling you, don't miss out tomorrow. I'm doing two more tracks of prayer you can use. And tomorrow we're going to spend more time in prayer than we did last week because last week was a lot of teaching. Tomorrow night it's going to be a few minutes of teaching, most of the time in prayer. Because, like I said, every single thing that God wants to do in you and through you starts in prayer. And as Ray, Brother Ravenhill says, if we fail in prayer, we fail everywhere. So make sure you're there tomorrow night for that. <coughs> we got our freedom encounter coming up next weekend. The deadline to sign up is Tuesday. So if you have never been on an encounter or you know you need to go again or you're ready to just take the next step in what God has for you in your life, I'm telling you, sign up. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Take your phone out. Go to the app right now if you want and sign up. Sign up on your way out. But it will change your life without a doubt. We've actually been tweaking some of it and rewriting some of the lessons. So maybe you've been before and you're like, I've already been. You want to go again? Go again. promise it will be worth it. So make sure you do that. Coming up soon. And then we have our Empowered Conference. and It's the week after next, January 20th and 22nd. A friend of mine, Chris Burns, will be leading worship on Friday night. And then we've got Pastor Randy Gouda come and be with us Saturday and Sunday. The two Friday night and Saturday night will be at Christian Fellowship where we're having service before we moved here. And then we'll be back here on Sunday morning. So make sure you're there for that. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning I'm excited <coughs> because... I'm going to be preaching to you a message that I'm, I'm a little, I had to put some work in with this one. Last week we talked about resetting our perspective and how many times how we see something determines how we believe about it and how we act and all those kind of things. And we were looking at the story of Elijah from 2 Kings 6 where the servant went out and he saw the army surrounding the, the, the city coming to kill him and Elijah. And then... Elisha said, no, 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 there's more with us and those are against us. And they looked and they saw the hills covered with the army of the Lord. And so many times we see the opposition rather than seeing the Lord in the middle of it. 
And the Lord has to change our perspective. As I said last week, that's a supernatural thing, that the Lord comes and he graces us and he changes the way we see something. It's a supernatural, powerful thing. But this morning, we're going to take the almost a pendulum swing from the supernatural changing of perspective. We're going to swing all the way over to this morning. We're going to reset our habits. Because I'm going to tell you this. I believe one of the biggest obstacles to why Christians don't walk in freedom is because they never allow the Lord to reset their habits. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I ask you to come today. <coughs> God, I pray that you would teach through me, preach through me, speak through me. There'd be none of my own opinion, but all yours. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice would leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. And give me the strength today to get this word exactly how you want it. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Rick Powden has a story he told me. Matt reminded me of it. There was this young guy going to his church up in Pittsburgh who got saved, was involved, was going to church, went through the discipleship course. And was on a serve team, but was battling shame, battling guilt, battling all this heaviness. And he was always down, and nobody really knew why. And he'd go to altar calls, and I'm just ashamed, I'm ashamed, don't know why. And they'd ask him, you know, what's going on? There was no real answer, and this went on for about two years. And then one Sunday, he shows up to church with a smile, ear to ear, all bounced and all excited. <coughs> and he walks up to Pastor Rick, and he says, Pastor Rick says, man, what's, what's going on with you? And he said, I got it. I understand. And he's like, okay, what is it? I understand why I've been so down and why I'm not. He says, okay, what is it? He said, Christians don't get high. And Rick kind of looks at him a little confused, like I'm sure I would, like, bro, you've been in my church two years. How the world you may figured this out. And he says, Christians don't get high. And he began to explain that when he came to church, he began sanctifying his lifestyle and doing what he was told to do, but he never stopped taking pills. But the way it affected him, it wasn't necessarily a very visible thing that everybody could see. And so he lived for two years and was wondering why he kept battling condemnation and shame and guilt. But he went and got free and then changed his lifestyle, changed his habit, and then finally began to walk in the purpose that God had for him. There are so many times, I'm telling you right now, we, <coughs> us spirit-filled people, tend to make this mistake. We come to an altar, we go to a freedom weekend, we go to a conference, and we believe the Lord is going to do amazing work in our lives. We believe he's going to heal us, he's going to deliver us, he's going to do something supernaturally amazing in our lives, and he does. He does. But we go home, and we don't allow him to reset the way we were living and we find ourselves back in the same cycle again. But Scripture says when we get free and we go back to it, it's worse. And so many times this happens. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about letting the Lord not just reset your perspective, but reset your habits so that you're able to actually walk out day in and day out who he's called you to be. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6. <coughs> 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the Syrians came down to him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord. Notice how many times he says prayed. And said, strike these people 
I pray with blindness. So we struck them with blindness according to Elisha. Now Elisha said, this is not the way of the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, he's praying again. Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they were inside Samaria. One of the things I want you to grab a hold of today is this line, kingdom habits produce kingdom results. Kingdom habits produce kingdom results. And so what you've got is you've got the prophet who, <coughs> kingdom outcomes, sorry, not results. That's what I sent him to type. What you've got to realize here is the prophet is marked by the king of Syria that says, this is the reason we can't beat Israel in war because God is telling this prophet where we're going, what we're doing. And every time we go make a move, the army of Israel is ready and they defeat us. And so the king says, instead of trying to beat Israel, I'm going to just go kill this prophet. So he sends his entire army, and he surrounds the city. The servant of the prophet wakes up, walks outside, sees the army, panics, goes inside a lot. This was last week. Elisha says, there's more with us, those that are against us, and the hills are covered with the army of the Lord. Now, what we didn't read last, we're going to keep reading this week, is that after that, Elisha went downstairs, talked to them. First he prayed, Lord, let him be struck with blindness. Now, I do not believe that they were blind in the sense that they couldn't see. I believe they were blind that they couldn't identify who Elisha was. Because in the next verse, Elisha says, follow me and I will show you where you're going. Well, if you're blind, the whole army can't follow you. You've got to grab them by the hand and walk with them. So this is saying, follow me. So they can't see what's right in front of them. They end up going down and he leads them to Samaria into into a friendly city, and the army walks in. He says, now remove the blindness from them, and they open up their prisoners of war now. But if you read that passage, the whole time, the number one thing you'll find is that everything that Elisha saw, felt, and heard caused him to pray. When he wakes up and the servant comes and gets him and says, we're surrounded by the enemy, Elisha doesn't panic. Elisha says, look at the hills. Elisha had never been outside yet, but because of Elisha's habit of prayer and his time spent with God, he knew that God had his back and he knew where the army of the Lord was. But it wasn't because Elisha got touched one time in a powerful meeting. It's because Elisha had created a habit that was producing such a relationship with God that he was confident that God had his back. And there's so many people, there's so many believers who are wanting to see kingdom outcomes and kingdom results and kingdom fruit in their lives, but they do not have kingdom habits. Please listen to me for a moment. I believe that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whom he wants, because he wants. Without question, at any moment in time. But please do not think for a second that because he's that powerful, we don't have responsibility. Please don't think that way. When I read through the New Testament, I see just as much talk of stewardship as I do power. That I'm supposed to steward what God gives me. Well, God gave me his spirit. Well, I better steward that. God gave me a gifting and a calling. Well, I better steward it. God gave me salvation. Well, I better steward it. Well, how I steward that is in my habits. And we see here that Elisha prayed. He prayed. It's mentioned four times that he prays. And it was this habit that determined his outcome. What would have happened if Elijah didn't pray? Elisha wasn't praying. What would have happened? Most likely, if he wasn't a praying man, had a habit of prayer, when he wakes up and hears there's an army outside that's come to kidnap him, he probably loses his stuff. 
like you and I would. He loses his mind and he goes crazy and he panics and he gets into a, you know, a, a depressed funk, an anxious fear craze and goes all kind of wild and everything. No, but he was a man of prayer. I want to show you some other habits this morning because <coughs> this isn't the only one. Go to John. I mean Luke chapter 5. Sorry, Luke chapter 5. However, the report went around concerning him, this is Jesus, all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often, say often, say often, withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. This is Jesus. Jesus didn't pray so he could minister. He ministered, but he ministered because he prayed. His ministry, the power, the anointing, the gifting, the things that he did, it wasn't something. Prayer wasn't a means or a method to get access to that. But it was because of his prayer that those things happened in his life. And he had a habit. He often withdrew to prayer. Now, I'm not just talking about prayer. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, it says, The book of the law, this is God talking to Joshua, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Please notice the last line, and if I had like a little pen or something to write, I'd look at the last sentence. For then you will what? You will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. This isn't talking about some supernatural success. God says, meditate on the, on the law, meditate on the word day and night. Let it not depart from your mouth. Meditate on this, then you will find success. Why? Because when I'm meditating on the word, it's going to teach me what I should be doing and what I should not be doing. And when I commit my plans to the Lord, they shall succeed. But it starts by meditating on the word. But I can't meditate on something I'm not in often. And I can't be in something often if I don't make a habit out of it. I remember one time when I worked at Cash America, if Adam, Adam's somewhere around here, <coughs> we had this guy, we called him Rev, Brother Ernest Dyson. He'd come in, he's a handyman in the parish, he'd come in, buy random tools, or he'd just come in and talk to us. And he'd walk in, and when we saw him, me, Adam, or, or Jimmy would yell, Brother Rev, what's the word of the day? And every single time, this was probably at least once a week, Brother Rev would have himself a brand new word that he read that morning, and he'd quote probably four verses of the King James Bible and give us a four-minute sermonette in the middle of the pawn shop, and we'd be taking notes on tablets because it was good. And finally, I asked him one day, I said, Rev, I said, I said I'm, I'm young. I'm trying to learn how to memorize Scripture more and know the Word more and everything. I said, Rev, how'd you do it? He said, I've been reading the Bible 15 minutes every day for 35 years. 15 minutes a day for 35 years. He said, I studied the preaching and everything. He said, but I find that that I learn more scripture. I get more scripture in me from my 15 minutes in the word for myself than I do on my sermon prep. And he said, 15 minutes a day for 35 years. And when I tell you this, if I, I still see him. And when I see him, I saw him in Gerald's not too long ago. I said, what's the word of the day? My man said, Zechariah. I'm like, now nah, I know you ain't making that up. Because nobody just happens to read Zechariah. Most people can't even find Zechariah. And I knew for a fact that I'm like, boom, there it is. He, because it was a habit. It was something he did day in and day out. Because kingdom habits produce 
kingdom outcomes. David had a habit of worship. He would take his heart, he would go into the field, and he would worship when he was a shepherd. When he was getting chased by King Saul, he'd go in a cave and worship. When Absalom came after him, well, later on he was old and he was king, he'd go worship. David writes psalm after psalm after psalm, which is essentially if the Bible had a Facebook profile or a social media page, that's what psalms would be. Because if you read it, it's my life is horrible, everybody wants to kill me, but God is good. Right? And then sometimes it's, Lord, thank you for my food. Thank you for my blessing. Thank you for my family. So in the 21st century, one post would be, my wife drives me crazy. Lord, help us because you're faithful. I love my wife. Love my marriage. Hashtag. Then the very next post would be the picture of the steak you ate for dinner on date night the next night. That's that, it's what Psalms would be in the 21st century. It would be the Twitter of the Bible, the Facebook of the Bible. But David had a habit of worship because David didn't worship to get a result. David worshiped because he knew who God was, and that was the response to who he was. So he just worshiped constantly. But he had the benefits of worship in his life because kingdom habits produce kingdom outcomes. And I want to let you know something this morning that in a minute I'm going to get real practical about habits and bad ones and good ones and breaking them and how they operate and all that kind of stuff. But I need you to understand something. I am, I am about as spirit-filled as they come. I don't need any reason. to I don't, I don't need any, any prep. I pray in the Holy Ghost all the time. I'm ready for the fire of God to fall, the glory to come, people get out of wheelchairs. Like, I'm that guy. But I have learned that if I'm not careful, I will be far too reliant on feelings and, 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 and whatever, and I will not be detailed and intentional enough on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'll find myself in trouble because kingdom habits produce kingdom outcomes, not crazy great one-time services. I want to get this to you, <coughs> and I'm going to let you know that the reason I think this is so important is because we don't rise to the level of our potential. We fall to the level of our habits. We don't rise to the level of our potential. We fall to the level of our habits. And here's what I mean by that. I'll give you from my own personal life something I've learned about myself in the last year. When we lost the roof at the church, if you talk to Caitlin, I, I shut down relationally with just about everybody. I don't even know if I like had an actual conversation with my kids for like two or three days. Because I shut down everything else that was going on because all of my attention was put on what we're going to do and what's next and, and how we're going to handle this. And I got all these people and we got these jobs and these bills and I got an attorney and lost it and all, all these different. And I started, I just marinated and meditated on the problem and I just withdrew from everything to focus on this one thing because it had to be done. And the Holy Spirit, in a sense, revealed to me that that is obviously a bad habit. But originally, I, I was like, you know what, that's, that's, you know, it is what it is. Then the Holy Spirit showed me it's been a habit of my entire life. See, when I was younger, y'all have heard me talk about how bad I was in math. I am not, I'm, I wasn't a math guy. But I also had this thing where, like, good grades didn't motivate me in the sense of I felt some kind of accomplishment from getting an A. I felt accomplished when I didn't get punished for getting a bad grade. Way more than I felt a college for getting a good grade. I'm not, that is not the approach to have. If you're young in here, do not do what Pastor Chris just said. Like, that is not the way to go. This is telling you who I was. So what I would do is I, I didn't realize. I'm just learning this about myself recently. I started, <coughs> I, I, would, I would just kind of coast through the school year. 
and like do just enough to not fail every test, but really not pay attention and not put the effort in. And then it would come time for the final exam. It would be, you know, May and it's geometry round two. And I have to pass geometry. I got to pass this exam to pass the class. And I would shut down everything else in my life. I would, I'd cancel cell group that week. I, I'd tell the worship team for youth, hey, we're not practicing. We'd play a familiar set because I got to study for my exam. And my mom and dad used to get so frustrated with me because I would usually get a B or an A on the exam when I actually put the effort in and studying. And they would always say, why don't you do it all year long? I don't understand why I don't do it all year long. And I realized that it was this habit, this thing in me that just kept happening, and it would just go from season of life to season of life to season of life, and it would create the same, these massive roller coaster rides of stress and anxiety and frustration in my life over and over and over again. And thankfully, the Lord reveals it, and I'm able to break it and reset and get a new habit in Jesus' name. But I had to recognize what it was. So how does a habit work? If you've ever read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, this you've read this. If not, go get the book because what it teaches will help you be a more efficient and effective follower of Jesus. I can promise you that, the practicality of it. But habits come in, there's four steps to it. It's called a feedback loop. You got the cue, you got the craving, you got the response, and you got the reward. That's how a habit works, a feedback loop. So what I mean by that, okay, well, here. Here's my phone, right? My phone's sitting right there. My phone alerts. Now me, I cannot stand a single notification. Some of y'all that got 20,000 emails right now need to repent. Because I don't know how you do it. I, I genuinely don't. I looked at somebody's phone the other day. I it was Franco's phone. I looked at it when I went hunting. My man had like 50,000 emails. I wanted to take his phone and like punt it. Like you don't even deserve a phone. This is ridiculous. Just drives me ab. If you give me a phone and you have notifications, I'm getting rid of them. I will just let you know, hey, this person texts you. You should, I just came on all the time. I see, I got to get rid of them. I can't handle it. Can't stand it. Drives me nuts. So what will happen is the phone will beep. I don't even need, I'm, I'm not checking it to see who texted me. I'm checking it so it will stop notifying me that someone texted me. So I, some, if you ever watch me, sometimes I'll go, because I just, and if another one beeps, I got to, because that drives me absolutely insane when there's a notification. But what will happen is the cue is the perm, the phone buzzes. The craving is I can't stand the notification, so I got to grab it. I got to turn it off. So I hurry up and I, I respond to the craving. I grab it. I hit the thing off, and the reward is I don't have a red number one anymore. Praise God, the Lord is holy. See, that's funny. Another one that I'm not doing anymore. I haven't done now in about two months. Praise God. It's probably longer than two months, if I'm being honest. But we're gonna go two months because I'm sure of that is I would drive to the office every day. I live in Violet, so I'll come up Judge Perez. And right when you pass the refinery and it, the street turns, you pass Jacob, what's on the right-hand side right there? Gerald's. What does Gerald's have in the morning? Hot donuts. See, I don't even need to, I don't even like, I don't even usually eat breakfast, and I'm not a donut person. Like, my buddy Mitchell will put down 30 donuts without even breaking a sweat. I don't understand it's, it's ridiculous. But 
I do have a thing for Boston cream. If you don't, I will pray for you. It is obviously the best kind of donut there is. But I love me some Boston cream. And see, Gerald's has my favorite Boston cream. And I know that right about the time I'm passing, going to the office, they got some hot Boston cream on the shelf. And so I drive by, and that cue is, I check the clock. I got time. Then that craving hits for that cream and that chocolate on it. Mm. The response is, ooh, the drive through short. The reward is Boston cream for breakfast. Bam! Problem is, is those are two rather silly feedback loops. But how about this? Same phone. You get an alert, and it's from that person in your life, that relationship, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad, friend, whoever, that's bringing all kind of toxicity and trouble into your life. They text you, and automatically it fires up all the hurt and the frustration and the pain and the anxiety and the fear that comes up when you see that name pop on your phone. Because everybody's been telling you to cut it off, get rid of them, delete them, but you won't. And so it pops up again. And so now the craving is you just got to get away from the pain, get away from the hurt. I can't stand it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm so tired of dealing with it. So you got to do something to get away, to nullify it. So you cancel it, but you know it's there. You know it's still there, and you need something to do. Something. It's got to be different. You got to get your mind off of it. So you, instead of dealing with the problem, the craving is I want relief from the problem, so I'll go grab some more alcohol. Or I'll go grab another pill. Or I go run and do something. I go to the gym. And what I do then is, let's go back to alcohol. I go to alcohol and I drink because, because I just can't deal with whatever just triggered me because the cue is essentially a trigger. I can't deal with what just triggered me. I'm craving relief from it, so I'm going to go find, I'm going to respond, I'm going to go find me something to get my mind or feelings or emotions off of it. And when I drink, my emotions go off. But the problem is we all know the result of that is when I come back later, the text message is still there, but the feeling is gone now. I just feel worse. It's a loop. And see, this is why what happens, we go on freedom encounters, we go on powerful events, and we ask the Lord, Lord, deliver me from bondage. And God sets us free from bondage, but we never allow him to reset the habit. And what ends up happening is it's like that game when you were a kid. I don't know if you played it. I know I did. When you had to hold the toilet paper roll and you had to spin yourself into a mummy as fast as you can, right? I don't know if any of y'all played that before. I did. And you spin as fast as you can. What you don't realize is you can get set free. God will get you out of bondage entirely. But if you don't let him reset the habit, if you don't submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit and make some actual changes in your life, it will be a matter of weeks before you are wrapped up again in the same bondage, except this time it's worse. It's quiet in here. Because most likely there are plenty of people who have been going from deliverance to bondage. Deliverance to bondage. And you're wondering why you can't seem to walk out freedom. You can't seem to walk out the very thing that you're knowing God set you free from. Let me tell you something. I know what it's like to be in a meeting, to be in an encounter, to be in a service, and get so touched by the power of God, you know that you know you're different. And you walk out the door, you know you're different. And you go to bed that night, and you know you're different. But three days later, you're not different anymore. Why? because I never broke the cycle. I never broke the cycle. 
And God is so gracious that he will bring deliverance every single time we come. But the problem is every time we go get deliverance and our faith gets fired up and we get all full and free and all that kind of stuff, when we go back and the cycle's still there, it gets tighter and it gets harder and it gets uglier every single time. So we have to break it. Well, how do you break it? You have to break it. You just got to disrupt any part of that loop. Disrupt any part. You want to know how I stopped going to Gerald's? I took Sam Bernard Highway. Can't see Gerald's. Won't stop at Gerald's. Sam Bernard Highway, Parish Road, Parish Road to the church. It's amazing. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even crave it because I didn't see it. The queue was gone. The trigger was gone. You don't know how to stop dealing with that relationship. Delete the number from your God-blessed phone. Don't, like, it's gone. You can't be triggered by something that doesn't exist anymore. Well, Pastor Chris, I really can't get rid of the trigger because of X. Okay, we'll get rid of the craving. Every time you think of that donut, think of yourself throwing up. Mental image. Every time I eat balls of cream, I'm going to puke. Lord, don't give me that image because I want to eat them eventually again, but not right now. But find a way to make whatever you're craving unattractive. Then the next is the response. Make it difficult to do. My response to not wanting to stop at Gerald's every morning was to take Sam on highway because I had to go way out of my way, mess up my routine to go get it. So I just made a new routine. And the reward is I felt confident. I had some more value. I had some, some hey, I can actually do this because I broke a habit. You'll actually be able to do it. Sometimes there's this thing called do not disturb that works real well. There's this thing called off that works real well. Because when it's off, it's off. And you might not know that they're messaging you. You want to know if you're bound by some by a relationship on your phone? Turn your phone off and count how many times you wonder if they texted you. Did they text me? I'm going to turn my phone on and see if they message me. Break the loop. But what good is it if I break a loop and get free from something if I never make a new one to help continue what God's doing? Because it's about stewardship. You've got to remember so I have to make a new one. So I need my cue now. If I want to start praying and reading every day, what's my cue? Well, maybe it's got to be something on your phone. Maybe your alarm clock says something. Like mine used to say, get up, stupid, and praise God. That's what my alarm used to say. Maybe it's you got to go in your, your, your kitchen the night before and make your coffee and set off the automatic timer. So when you're supposed to get up at 5 o'clock, you set the coffee at 4.50. So when you wake up, your house smells like coffee. Because everybody knows that devotion time is better with coffee. you got to figure out a way to, make, to get you triggered into moving into this new habit that you're creating. And then, then you got to have that craving, which I know, let me tell you something. You spend time with Jesus, you'll crave spending time with Jesus. That's a fact. That is an absolute fact. When I go hunting, I want to spend more time hunting. When you go to the gym long enough, eventually your body begins to crave going to the gym. I obviously haven't gone long enough because my body hasn't got to that I crave it yet stage. You know what I'm saying? But that's what everybody says. You know, I'm just trusting everybody on that point. But my whole point is, is that eventually when I do something in routine enough, it be- I begin to crave it. I begin to long for it. Then once I long for something, it's very easy to respond and go do it. And the reward is always there. And we know that he diligently rewards those who urgently, who earnestly seek him. 
But the problem is we come to church on Sunday and we expect God to give us something amazing in, in, in an hour and a half or whatever it is. This morning was longer because the Holy Ghost was here moving or whatever. But <coughs> we expect God to do something in, in 90 minutes and then not talk to him or get in any kind of habit or routine for the next six days. And then we wonder why our life is full of chaos, confusion, and frustration. And see, don't go home today and say, tomorrow I'm spending two hours in prayer. If you don't pray at all. Go home and say, tomorrow I'm spending 15 minutes in prayer. With my coffee, in my chair, in my Bible, it's by my chair. If you come to my house, I got my reclining chair in the corner. We just got a lamp. I got the book I'm reading and the Bible at the chair. All I got to do is get the coffee and get in the chair. That's it. Makes it very easy. But it has to be something that we set out to do. Because I'm telling you right now, one of the things I get the most frustrated with is when somebody says they went to a meeting and God touched them, but apparently he didn't really set them free. God does not do incomplete work. He doesn't. If you're not walking in the manifestation of what you know God started, most likely, not most likely, I'm going to go ahead and say matter-of-factly, we're not walking out the freedom that he gave us. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will pray and ask God, God, give me the grace to do this. Give me the grace to make this new habit. Give me the grace to reset this thing in my life because the fruit that I've been getting is not the fruit that I want. And if I want kingdom outcomes, I've got to have kingdom habits. So you may be here, you may say, Pastor Chris, I, I'm, I'm stuck in the rut. Awesome. Sign up for the encounter. This weekend. We're going to show you how the habits got there, why they're there, why they're still there, and you're going to teach you how to get rid of them. Then get connected to a life group. Get yourself some accountability that says, you know what, I'm going to help you reset those habits. I'm going to help you make a new feedback loop. I remember years ago, we were working at Cash America. Pastor Adam was struggling with the daily reading and, and, and stuff like that. So he, he said, hold me accountable, but I'm not eating until I read. And he said, and I'm not reading at home just to be accountable. So he would come to work, and he would read his Bible at work. And there were a few days that the day would get crazy early, and he wouldn't get to read. And so Adam would go a full day of work and not eat because he hadn't read his word yet. But he found a way to create this habit, to create this culture in himself that this is what he did. You may be saying, well, Pastor Chris, I just, I just need something to jumpstart me. Well, great. Sign up for the Empower Conference. Not this weekend, but next. I'm telling you, the power of God is going to fall and move and hit anybody who's hungry when we go to the Empower Conference. Because it says that all those who are hungry and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. So if I show up hungry, I'm going to leave full. But the problem is, I'm going to just, uh, can, I, can, I, can I throw something at you? I'm going to just do it. Okay, boom. The problem is, is our expectation is so small that what we get is so small. And would you like to know how I know the expectation is so small? Can I tell you why? Because there's probably four people registered for the Empowered Conference, and we'll have about 90 by the time it comes, and everybody's going to sign up to deadline day. Have some expectation and say, you know what, no, I'm going to do it today. I'm going to sign up, boom. And once I sign up, I'm committed to go, I'm going to spend the next two weeks praying about it and getting my mind ready for it and asking God to move on my behalf. Well, I'm just going to make a decision that I'm going to do something different because I'm tired of everything being the same. Amen? Bow your heads this morning.